present Nigel Anthony in The Hornblower Story, adapted from four of the C.S. Forrester novels by Val Gielgud. Part one from Mr. Midshipman Hornblower, The Even Chance. Three days since, a gentleman called upon me from London. A publisher, he called himself, wanted to persuade me to write what he called my memoirs. Sent the fellow away with a flea in his ear. Not true enough that I've seen many places. Gibraltar, the Levant, the coast of Spain, the inside of a French prison. That I've served under Pellew and St Vincent and Cornwallis that I was Vice-Admiral Lord Hornblower before I hauled down my flag for the last time. But a man forgets much as he grows older, and there is much a wise man prefers not to remember. So I shall write no memoirs. Better to sit by my fireside to recall in tranquillity some incidents of those early years when first I went to sea in times of war with France. Perhaps... Clearest of all in my memory remains my first sight of His Majesty King George's ship of the line, Justinian, pitching at her anchors off Spithead under the January gale that blustered up the channel. I see myself as a skinny young man, just out of boyhood. Thin legs and arms, a white, bony face above a high stock and an ill-fitting uniform. I see the darkly tanned cheeks of Mr. Masters, Lieutenant of the Watch aboard the Justinian. I hear the slapping of the waves against her hull as I climbed awkwardly to her quarterdeck. Come aboard, sir. Your name? Horatio Hornblower, sir. A very good Mr. Hornblower. Did you bring your dunnage aboard with you? There's my sea chest, sir. Forward at the entry port. I'll have it sent below. I'd advise you to get out of those wet clothes while you can. The captain's ashore. He'll see you on his return. Aye, aye, sir. Senior midshipman of your mess is Mr. Simpson. Report yourself to him. Aye, aye, sir. Hornblower, midshipman. Would you be Mr. Simpson? A poor name, but my own. I can only suppose you boarded this ship to thrust yourself among your betters. <laughs> and to be a nuisance to those who have to teach you your duties whilst beating the French. <laughs> the king's latest bad bargain. <laughs> How old are you? Sir... Seventeen, sir. You must start at twelve if you hope to be a seaman. Do you know the difference between a head and a halyard? Uh, I can look it up in Norrie's seamanship, sir. <laughs> look it up. You'd better. If you'll excuse me, sir. What's the matter? I, I'm afraid You're I'm... afraid? I'm going... Good going... Lord! The boy's seasick. 
seasick and spitted, and hopes to make a scene. <laughs> Get out of here before you foul my death. Aye, aye, sir. bad enough beginning. A beginning to days of loneliness and misery for a boy shy and unsure of himself, who found the midshipman's berth occupied by men all a good deal older than he, who for the most part ignored him. Nor was there much in his first interview with Captain Keane to console or encourage him. So you're a doctor's son, I see. Yes, sir. Born July the 4th, 1776. Five years before I was posted as captain. Yes, sir. If you wanted to make a career for yourself, young man, you should have picked a lord for your father. How far did your education go? Greek and Latin, sir. So you can construe Xenophon as well as Cicero. Not very well, sir. Better if you could foresee a squall in time to get gallants in. The Navy has no use for ablative absolutes. I have a fair grounding in mathematics, sir. Sines and cosines. <laughs> oh, they have their uses. Well, obey orders, learn your duties, and not much harm can come to you. Thank you, sir. Uh, one thing more, Mr. Hornblower. I hope you pay attention to the senior warrant officer of the midshipman's berth, uh, John Simpson. I do my best, sir. Yeah, that is well. Mr. Simpson has ability. He is also his own worst enemy. He was given rank as acting lieutenant, which would have been confirmed had his mathematical knowledge been sufficient to make him a reliable navigator. And so he conceives himself to have a grievance. Once went so far as to address a superior officer as a turnipad. Study, Mr. Simpson, Mr. Hornblower, and profit by what you see and hear. I find you a difficult young man, Mr. Hornblower. I'm sorry, Mr. Simpson. I do my best to... You even grudge me a clean shirt from your own lavish supply. I find that unfriendly, Mr. Hornblower. As a doctor's son, I should have expected sympathy with the needy. <laughs> what do you say, Mr. Cleveland? Oh, I agree with you, Mr. Simpson. And no doubt the doctor was on good terms with the parson. And no doubt the parson helped with the education of Mr. Hornblower. Perhaps he taught Mr. Hornblower that fine poem, Elegy in a Country Churchyard. He did indeed, Mr. Simpson. It's a favourite of mine. You may care to refresh my memory of it by reciting one or two verses. I'm not sure that I can actually... But I'm certain you can, Mr. Hornblower. At any rate, you can try. Well? If you insist... I do, Mr. Hornblower. I really do insist. The cur curfew tolls the knell of passing day. The lowing herd winds slowly o'er the lee. The... the... I fear I don't recall at the moment. Your dirk scabbard, if you please, Mr. Cleveland. Here, yeah, Mr. Simpson. Thank you. Now, if you will place Mr. Hornblower's head between your knees, I will do my best to stimulate his memory. The curfew tolls, the knell of passing day. The lowing herd winds 
slowly or are they leave. There were moments during those weeks while the Justinian lay at anchor in that January of 94 when I longed, and such is the absurdity of youth, even prayed for sudden death to rescue me from the tyranny of John Simpson. There came a day when he and I were ashore in charge of a press gang, awaiting the hands from an expected West Indian convoy. We sat comfortably in the back parlour of the Lamb Inn before a roaring fire. Simpson with a pot of beer laced with gin at his elbow. For once all's well with the world. Here's to the convoy, and may she be long delayed. Drink up, boy. Ah, Mr. Chalk, your servant. Thank you, Mr. Simpson. I don't think I know your young companion. Mr. Hornblower. Lieutenant Chalk of the Goliath. You should know Mr. Hornblower, Mr. Chalk, distinguished as the midshipman who was seasick the very day he came aboard in Spithead. <laughs> I have heard of other naval officers who suffer from seasickness, Mr. Simpson. Uh, perhaps you will join me in a glass. I fear we may have a long wait for the convoy. Uh, your men are properly posted to watch for their hands as they come ashore. They are, sir. That is well. Uh, you know, I imagine, that I am in general charge of the press gangs ashore. So Captain Keene informed me, sir. Now, we must find some way to pass the time while we wait. Oh, uh, let me present my midshipman, Mr. Caldwell. Gentlemen. I suggest a game of cards. Perhaps whist would give us all scope for the exercise of our talents. Uh, you are acquainted with it, Caldwell? Uh, the rudiment, sir. Mr. Simpson? I enjoy any game of chance. Mr. Hornblower? With pleasure, sir. Excellent. Stakes, gentlemen, a shilling a trick and a guinea on the rub. Oh, Certainly. Capital, then we may cut at once for places and partners. Hey, Potman! Two clean packs of cards, more lights, and refill the glasses. As it happened, I had learnt whist in a good school, with my father, his friend, the local parson, and the parson's wife. It took no more than three hands to realise that Lieutenant Chalk played a capital game, that Caldwell was moderate, and that John Simpson was hopeless. It took not much longer to realise that he was not only a bad player, but a bad loser. His face grew flushed with more than the heat of the fire, and as the potman came and went with liquor, so Simpson became both restless and noisy. My luck was in and it was obvious that Lieutenant Chalk was relieved to have me for his partner. My ace takes your queen, Caldwell. And the rest are mine. What do you mean, Hornblower? I hold the king. He's right, Simpson. Five tricks, game and rubber. Damn it. I take another. Whether you lead diamonds or hearts, I trump and make three more clubs, Mr. Simpson. It seems to me you know too much about the game, Hornblower. You know the backs of the cards almost as well as you know their fronts. That is an insult, Mr. Simpson. I shall have to ask you for satisfaction. <laughs> now, Mr. Hornblower, Mr. Simpson had a momentary loss of temper. I'm sure he will explain. I have been accused of cheating a card, sir. It's a thing that takes some explaining away. Damn me if I'll Mr. Take... Simpson! Wine in and wit out, says the proverb. <laughs> All friends here, I'm sure. Mr. Simpson was only joking, I know, Mr. Hornblower. Let us call for another bottle. With pleasure, sir. Good. If Mr. Simpson will beg my pardon before you two gentlemen and admit that he spoke without justification, 
Otherwise, only one satisfaction is possible. Apologise? To you? I'll see you in hell first. He's hardly more than a boy, Simpson. You can apologise without... Apologise, be damned. I shall look forward to letting daylight into him. You are a rash young man, Mr Hornblower. I blame myself that I gave occasion for what has happened all the same. I had no alternative, sir. Perhaps. Nonetheless, when Mr Simpson is cooler... No, sir. But I should be greatly obliged to you if you would apprise Captain Keane of the facts. Gladly. Thank you, sir. And perhaps Mr Caldwell here will act for you. Oh, of course. The man's a bully. And plays a mighty bad hand at whist. Then I'll wish you luck, Mr Hornblower. It's time I made the round of my patrols. If I were you, Hornblower, I'd take Lieutenant Chalk's advice. He's a good officer. I'm sure of that. But you won't. Would you? Well, how do you want to fight that bully Simpson? Well, you're the aggrieved party. You've choice of weapons. Any skill with a small sword? Never handled one. Then pistols. I've heard he's a good shot. You're pretty cool. Maybe... I hardly care. But I thought we might make the chances more even. And how would you propose to do that? In fact, we could make them exactly even, Caldwell. We could have two pistols, one loaded and the other empty. Simpson and I take our choice without knowing which is which, stand within a yard of each other and fire on the word. I doubt if it would be legal. Well, one of you would be killed for certain. I thought killing was the object of the duel. You wanted me, sir. I did, Masters. It's this absurd business of a meeting arranged between young Hornblower and John Simpson. Yes, sir. It shouldn't take place. Not, sir. Confound it, man. My officers have better things to do than to try to kill each other, especially when our country is at war. Quite so, Captain Keene, sir. But when a ship is at anchor for weeks on end, That I... may be an explanation. It is not an excuse. I want you to settle this business. Attempts have been made, sir. Both men are very stubborn. One is a boy, the other is a bully. I tell you, Lieutenant Masters, it won't do. Everyone in the ship is aware of the facts of the case. If I might be frank, sir. Certainly, certainly. I believe it would be good for the general morale of the ship if the thing was brought to a head. Why do you say that? Simpson is generally disliked, sir. Young Hornblower, he's an unknown quantity. He may be only shy. He may be too big for his boots. But under the conditions demanded by Hornblower, confound him, one or the other is almost certain to be killed. Exactly so, sir. Oh, oh you like the idea. It, uh, it would solve problems, sir. If you mean what I think, I don't like it. Now, see here. I rely on you, Masters, to do your very best to achieve an accommodation. An accommodation. You understand? Why insist on satisfaction, Mr. Hornblower? I understand it was merely a question of a few hasty words over cards and wine. Mr. Simpson accused me of cheating, sir, before witnesses. And the witnesses were not officers of this ship. I'm aware of that. Had they been my shipmates, I might have chosen to disregard Mr. Simpson's words as the ramblings of a drunken bore. What passed between us is now common property in the fleet. There is no hushing it up. You still demand satisfaction? I do, sir. I see. Do I also understand you are insisting on unusual conditions for the meeting? I suppose they might be called unusual, sir. There is no question of suppose, Mr Hornblower. There are precedents, sir. 
As the insulted party, I am entitled to choose any conditions which the seconds deem to be fair. That is the talk of a sea lawyer, not of a ship's officer. I'm sorry for that, sir. My father has often rebuked me for being too glib with my tongue. Let us keep to the point. You are absolutely determined to continue with a business I can only describe as murderous? Yes, sir. Then I must inform you that Captain Keene has instructed me to be present at your meeting with Mr. Simpson on account of these strange conditions on which you have insisted. Yes, sir. I shall request the seconds to make their arrangements accordingly. Very good, sir. I am grateful for the captain's concern on my account. Look alive there! Make no mistake, Mr. Hornblower. The captain has things more important to consider than your skin. I am sure of that. The feeling is mutual. Mr. Hornblower, are you a prig or a fool? Sometimes I have asked myself that question, sir. Indeed. And have you answered it? Not yet, sir. Not to my own satisfaction. I hope that one day I may be able. All my life I have suffered from a sense of uncertainty. Uncertainty regarding myself. Perhaps it is to that sense that I owe a certain stubbornness of disposition once I have made up my mind. Over this business with John Simpson, there was much to be said for escaping from my persecution at his hands by dying. At the same time, I realized it would be agreeable to escape from it without dying. Simpson was certainly a better swordsman and might be a better shot. The conditions for the meeting which I had named surely gave me rather more than an even chance, which was just as well. As I lay awake, hearing the Justinian's bell ring out each half hour during the night before the morning arranged for the duel, I knew that if I had no more to depend upon than steadiness of hand and eye, I should almost certainly be dead before another nightfall. An hour before dawn, Rivali. Caldwell was waiting for me at the jetty with a hackney coach. Take a sip of this, Hornblower. It'll warm your stomach. You've no special need for a steady hand this morning. Thank you, no. I had some tea before coming ashore. The others will be there before us. I saw the quarterboat heading back just before I reached the jetty. The sawbones is with them. Well, God knows what use he can be in the circumstances. No doubt he'll do his best. How do you feel? Well enough. I think. Now, gentlemen, here are the pistols. Both, as you see, are primed, but only one is loaded. I propose to spin this coin to decide the allocation of the weapons. Let the winner of the spin choose. Very well. Pray call, Mr. Hornblower. Tails. Tails it is. Make your choice, Mr. Hornblower. This one, if you please. I have done what was required of me. It remains for you two gentlemen to carry the business through. Yes, sir. Take this one, Mr. Simpson. I'm obliged to you, sir. I trust Mr. Hornblower will handle that weapon more carefully. <laughs> he is a public danger. <laughs> There are no distances to step out on this occasion. It's level enough here, I fancy. Will you stand here, Hornblower? 
And you here, Mr. Simpson? I thank you. For the last time, gentlemen, I beg you, can you not be reconciled? A moment. Who is to give the word to fire? Thank you, Mr. Cleveland. I suggest we ask Lieutenant Masters to give it. If you all agree, very well. I will say one, two, three, fire, with those intervals. On that last word, you may fire at will. You are ready? Yes. Ready. One, two, three. Despite the pounding of my heart, my mind was clear. At that moment, I knew that even if the loaded pistol was mine, I could not kill Simpson. A wound would suffice. I raised the weapon slightly so that it was directed towards the point of Simpson's shoulder. Fire! He's yours, Simpson. Thank you, Cleveland. It looks like it. A misfire, by God. Give me those pistols. The loaded one's hanging fire. We don't want it to go off now. <sighs> Honor is satisfied. Both gentlemen have passed through this ordeal with credit. No one now can think less of Mr. Simpson if he expresses his regret to Mr. Hornblower. No one can think less of Mr. Hornblower if he accepts such a statement in reparation. Eh, Mr. Simpson? If you say so, sir. Uh, Mr. Hornblower? Very well. Ah, that is satisfactory. Oh, I wish you could all see your faces. Solemn as cows. Uh, Mr. Cleveland, be so good as to relieve your feelings in a manner more befitting. Well, gentlemen, our coaches are waiting and the cutter is at the jetty. I think we should all be the better for some breakfast. Well, and that, I fancy, should have been the end of the incident. The talk it had occasioned in the anchored squadron died away. It made more difference to me than I now care to confess that the name of Hornblower no longer meant the midshipman who had been seasick when he boarded the Justinian, but a man who had been willing to face an even chance of death in cold blood. However, in the Justinian herself there was other talk. Whispers circulated and grew. They came to my ears, and very angry they made me. I believe you wanted to see me, Mr. Hornblower. I do, Captain Keane. You seem to me rather a disturbed young man. With reason, sir. Yes. I fancy I can guess what you wish to say. Those pistols used in my duel with Mr. Simpson. Well? Neither of them was loaded, sir. You're quite correct, Mr. Hornblower. I gave the orders to Lieutenant Masters. What is more, I saved a life for the King's service, a valuable life. No one has suffered harm. Both you and Simpson have amply proved your courage. You both know you can stand fire. That is valuable knowledge for a naval officer. Every man in this squadron knows it too. My honour remains in question, sir. Don't blur your courage with prickishness, Mr. Hornblower. It seems I have to remind you of one admirable regulation of the Navy to the effect that no junior officer can challenge his superior to a duel. The reason is obvious. Otherwise, promotion might become too easy. So the mere issuing of a challenge by a junior to a senior is an offence, Mr. Hornblower. I see now that I acted hastily and foolishly, sir. Good. In that case, sir... There is another matter that I wish to take up with you, Mr. Hornblower. Sir? 
Captain Pellew of the Indefatigable has room for another midshipman. What's more, he's partial to a game of whist and has no good forth on board. Now, he and I have agreed to consider favourably your application for a tenure, should you care to make one. I don't imagine I have to point out that any young officer with ambitions would jump at the chance of serving under Captain Pellew in a frigate. No, sir. Prize money, distinction, promotion, you can reasonably hope for all of these. Of course, I would not wish to influence you unduly, Mr. Hornblower, but I do not think that I am exaggerating when I say it is the opportunity of a lifetime. It is more than good of you, sir. I hardly know how to thank you. At the same time, you accepted me as a midshipman in the Justinian. Of course, I must stay with you. Uh, thank you, Mr. Hornblower. However, I am going to insist on your accepting the offer. But Captain Keane... As Lieutenant Masters has, I gather, intimated to you, this ship is not the place for a young man of promise. And midshipmen are older than they should be. So you see, I do have the good of the service in mind. I hardly know what to say, sir. Well, then say nothing. Simply accept Captain Pellew's invitation. It would make things easier for me if you did. It would also make things easier for John Simpson. You understand? Aye, aye, sir. I understand. And I appreciate your frankness and advice, sir. <sighs> then it remains for me to wish you the best of good fortune under your new command, Mr. Hornblower. I was never to know exactly what was in Captain Keane's mind. The good of the service, the future welfare of the midshipmen he hardly knew... Captain Pellew's need of a fourth at whist, the desirability of separating John Simpson from myself. At the time, I could only think of the frigate indefatigable sailing free for the Bay of Biscay and operations off the coast of France. Of Sir Edward Pellew, with his reputation as a frigate captain. For the first time, I think, I was convinced that I had a future as a naval officer. In part one of the Hornblower story, you heard Nigel Anthony as Lord Hornblower, the narrator, with Nicholas Fry in the role of Horatio as a youth. Lieutenant Masters was played by Anthony Wingate, Mr. Midshipman Simpson, Ralph Lawford, Captain Keane, Charles Foster, Mr. Midshipman Cleveland, Paul Hertzberg, Lieutenant Chalk, Ian Flintoff, and Mr. Midshipman Caldwell, Keith Ladd. The musical score is composed by Johnny Pearson. The Hornblower story is directed in Manchester by Trevor Hill, assisted by Christopher Hayden Webb.